0: This podcast is the ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church. In Angeles, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. I want to encourage you, if at all possible, to be a part of that. It's Friday night, August 24th. Most of the day, Saturday, the 25th of August. It's $40 a couple. If you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. It's that big of a deal to us. You'll show up Friday night at 5, drop your kids off. If you have kids, go to dinner with your spouse. Come back at 7. We'll start the training. Go till about 9 or 9.30 You'll come in Saturday morning, stay until lunch. We'll feed you lunch. That's included in your price. We'll stay at about 3 or 4 in the afternoon. It's that big of a deal. I want you to make every effort possible to be a part of that marriage ceremony, that marriage study. Because there's so many couples in our church that uh, are doing well. And there's so many couples that are at the point of needing help. And there's some couples that need help. But we're all going to be there. My wife and I are going to be there. Our staff's going to be there. It's for everybody. Whether you're newlywed or you're seasoned veterans, we want you to be a part of that. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. As we open up the text of Scripture right now, Father, we pray you would speak to us in a mighty and powerful way. Help us to see clearly, Lord, exactly what you've shown us. Help us to see clearly your word, Lord, and then help us to take your word, what we've learned, Father, and apply it to our lives. Let us leave this place, transform more into the energy of your Son, Father. So keep us free from distraction. Free from the things of the world, Father, so you may be honored and glorified by the things we say and do. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Growing up on a large farm in Virginia, Lottie Moon never really thought about mission work. Now her parents were believers, but it wasn't until she got into college and she went to a series of revivals that she said, by her own account, her heart was spiritually awakened. And so as she began to wrestle with God's call for her life, she ultimately answered that call into mission work. And on July the 7th, 1873, the Foreign Mission Board, that's now the International Mission Board, officially appointed Lottie Moon as a missionary to China. She was 33 years old. So she set off all by herself to China, and she spent the better part of the next 40 years faithfully serving the people of that country. She had a real heart to share the gospel. She had a real heart to focus on the people that were in need. She had a real heart especially for the women of China. And so she poured herself into their lives. She poured herself into their families, into training them and teaching them and sharing Christ with them. In 1883, she wrote to the Foreign Mission Board proposing that the week before Christmas be set aside for an offering to missions. That first offering collected in 1888 was $3,315. It was enough to send three missionaries to China. That became the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We still give to that offering even today. In 1912, famine struck the area of China and, and war was there. And Lottie Moon saw the needs of the people and the desperation of the people grow even worse. And so she wrote to the foreign mission board again, Please send us more money, she said. Please send us more resources. Please send us anything you can so I can help these people. And they wrote back and they said, We're heavenly indebted and as much as we would like to help you, we're not going to send you anything. And so Lottie Moon did what for many of us would be the unthinkable. She began to give her own money away. She began to give her own food away. She began to not eat herself so that others that were needy could eat. Now, it affected her greatly physically. She lost a lot lot of weight. It affected her emotionally and mentally. And by the time those that were responsible for her well-being realized how serious her condition was, it was too late for medical help. And they put her on a boat and tried to sail her back to America to help her. And on December the 24th, 1912, at the age of 72, Lottie Moon died in service to her king. I want to read you a quote from her life. Here's what she said. How many there are who imagine that just because Jesus paid it all, they need pay nothing. Forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God. Why should we not, instead of the paltry offerings we make, do something that will prove that we are really in earnest in claiming to be followers of Him who, though he was rich for our sake, became poor. Now, Lottie Moon gave her life to Jesus Christ. She gave her life to missions. She gave her life to those that were downtrodden and needy. It was a true sacrifice of all she had. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. Understanding that Jesus gave it all, how much are you willing to give? You know, this is a special Sunday for us here at Rosemont. I've been praying about this Sunday for a number of weeks. I felt a a while ago when I was in Guatemala that this Sunday, August the 12th, would be the Sunday that we gave him a love offering. That we brought in our money for mission work and we gave enough money to propel our church well into the future to pay for our mission responsibilities in the next year and to pay for our mission responsibilities in years to come. And I've had so many people over the last few weeks ask me this question Adam, how much money do you think we're going to (laughs) raise? How much do you think we're going to take up today? I have no idea. I don't know how much money we're going to raise, but there are two things that I do. Number one, God has called us to reach the world. I know that. And the second thing I know is that he's going to do some incredible things among us to demonstrate his power and his glory over and over and over again. Because here's the bottom line for Christ. Jesus Christ desires to win the world to him. He's got a plan to win the world, and he wants you and he wants me to be a part of that plan. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go up to Isaiah chapter 58 this morning. Isaiah chapter 58. For the last many weeks, over the course of the summer, we've been studying missions. We've called our series Generation one and this is the last official Sunday we're going to preach about missions, at least in this series. We've been focusing on the book of Acts. We've been thinking about Paul and his first missionary journey. We've taken all the things that he's done, all the things that he learned, and we've taken those things and we've began to apply them to our lives. How can we learn more about mission work? What are the things we can do to improve our ability to go into the world? But today we're stepping away from the book of Acts. We're stepping away from Paul's first missionary journey because I want you to see in Isaiah 58 that God had a very clear message for the people of Israel 700 years before the birth of Christ when this was written. And I believe, if we look at it today, that that same message can still be applied to us now. So we're in Isaiah chapter 58 beginning in verse 1. Now verse 1 really goes to chapter... 57, we're going to read it to kind of get us going here in Isaiah chapter 58. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 58. For day after day they seek me out. This is God talking. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were, and listen to the sarcasm here, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. Of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Now, here's the people of Israel talking about to God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, God says again, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all of your workers. Now, there's a danger in these first few verses. There's a danger written to the people of Israel in the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And it's the same danger that we still face today. Here's the danger. Number one, it's a warning from God. God is the first thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture. Number one, God calls us to more than just an outward religion. There's the danger. God calls us to more than just an outward religion. Religion. Now, I don't want you to pull it back on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to notice some things that God says in these first few verses. He's talking about the children of Israel, and here's the way he describes them. They seem eager to know my ways. They ask me to show them justice. They act like they want to know me more. God says there's this sense from the people of Israel that they really earnestly want to know who I am. That they really desire to hear from me. That they desire to know me more. But here's the problem, God says. They may appear to act like they know me. They may act like they want to do certain things. And they may act a certain way on the outside. But on the day of the fasting, at the end of verse 3, look at what happens. You do as you please. (laughs) And exploit all your workers. Here's what God says. You can put the main point back up. God calls us to more than just outward religion. Here's what God's saying to the people of Israel. Be careful. Because some of you are playing a game. Some of you are pretending to be eager. Some of you are pretending like you want to know the things of God. Some of you are pretending like you want to know Him more. But when the rubber meets the road, you're selfish. You may say one thing, you may act a certain way, but when the rubber meets the road, when you're pressed, you're too selfish to really give in to anything He wants you to do. Now let's be honest with each other, okay? Let's, let's be honest with each other for just a few minutes. I'm going to tell you, I'm at the front of the line here. So you guys can get behind me. Take a number behind me. But we've all been here, haven't we? We've all been in the place in our lives as believers where we've kind of played the game. We've played the game because we think somebody else is watching. We've played the game because maybe our spouse wants us to play it. We've played the game because maybe at a time in our life or maybe now we, we really do want to know the things of God. But we know in our hearts... We know in our spirits that ultimately we're too selfish to do the things he's called us to do. And so here's what it might look like for you. You feel this need to know God more and you've earnestly got a desire to know. Just like the people in Isaiah 58 do. You you really want to know God more. And so you set yourself upon this plan to read through your Bible. That's what you do. You say, I need to study more the word of God. I need to read more. And so you say, God, I'm going to read through the whole book of this. Or I'm going to read through the whole Old Testament. I'm going to read through the whole New Testament. I'm going to do it in a year. I'm going to do it in a month. Or I'm going to do it in a week. God, whatever. And you, you start off strong because you have this desire to know God more. But at some point you give it up. Because you're unwilling to make the sacrifice to continue. You've been there. You know you have. So have I. We've all started those Bible reading plans and never finished them. Or, or, or maybe you say, you know what? I want to commit myself to a quiet time every day. And so I'm going to set aside a time every day where I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to get up early, Lord. And I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time in study. I'm going to do things you've called me to. And we start off with a bang. But at some point, we slowly give it up. Why? Because there are more important things to do. We'd rather sleep. We'd rather get up and eat. We just don't feel like doing it. And we slowly give it away. Or maybe it looks like this for you. You show up on Sunday morning. You have a great experience. You sing praises. And you're excited about Christ. And you're excited about living your life for Him. And you go to Sunday school and you take in the Word and you you leave church and you're so excited about all that God's doing. And you want to serve Him and you really want to know Him more. But then Monday rolls around, right? And Tuesday and Wednesday and at a certain point during the week you're kind of back to your old self. God says if we're not careful, this becomes our Christian walk. Do you understand that? If we're not careful, we fall into this trap of really being eager and really doing certain things and really showing the world that we care, but in our hearts we're selfish. God says the danger is that you fall into this trap. Now, we're selfish by nature. We all know that. Ted Tripp, if you've ever read Ted Tripp. Ted Tripp is a Christian writer. You need to read something Ted Tripp wrote written. I don't don't care what it is. He's just that good. (laughs) Anything he's written is worth you reading. But he did a, a study that we've done in this church. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And it's a parenting guide. We've taught that class several times here at our church. It's just a very biblical, very godly model of what a parent ought to look like. But Ted Tripp tells this really funny story about selfishness. He said, I've been married to my wife all these years. And he tells, I don't know how many years, 30, 40 years. He said, this is the woman I've committed my life to. I've given my heart to her. I've given her my life. We've gone through thick and thin together. And, and this is the person I'm committed to forever, he says. But he says, we'll be sitting on the couch at night watching a movie and I'll get up to go fix us some ice cream and And I'll fix two bowls of ice cream. I'm walking back into the living room of the the woman I've given my life to. And he said, I'm weighing the bowls to see which one's got more ice cream. (laughs) He said, we're just selfish by nature, right? We kind of have to battle against that. God, I know you've got this plan, but wow, I've got a plan too, Lord. And I do kind of desire to do what you want to do, but you know, I'm just, I'm kind of selfish, But see, here's the problem with this outward playing game of religion. Here's this problem with selfishness. It keeps us from the things of God. You understand that? God said, you act like you want to do certain things. You you appear as if you're eager. You want to hear from me. And yet on the inside, you do as you please. Now, what's God's reaction to this, you may say? Great, okay, so God knows the game's up, kind of, right? He knows that I'm... Playing this game. He knows maybe I'm selfish. What does this mean for me? How does God respond to this? Well, look at verse 4. Look at what he says. He set the tone for the kind of playing of the game, right? And doing the things we want to do, but at the same time being selfish. Look at what he says in verse 4. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. You know why we quarrel with each other? You know why we quarrel with each other? Because we're selfish. Why do we argue? Because I want my way and you want your way. And we don't see eye to eye, and so we argue. He says it ends with quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Now watch this. This is important. He says you cannot fast as you do today. In other words, you can't be selfish. You can't play this game and be selfish. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. (laughs) You understand that? God says you're playing a game, children of Israel. You're playing a game where you act like you want to do a certain thing. Where you act like you care. Maybe sometimes you are really earnest and you really are eager. But in your heart, you're selfish. If you continue to do that, look at what he says. It's right there in the scripture. He said, you cannot continue to do these things and expect your voice to be heard on high. God says, if you're going to continue to play this game and to be selfish, don't expect to hear from me. If you're going to continue to do the things that you want to do, don't expect me to bless them. Don't expect to walk in church on Sunday morning and act one way and then go into the world and act another and for me to bless everything you're doing. I'm reminded of the passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 23 where Christ is speaking to the Pharisees and to the religious teachers and he says this in verse 27 of Matthew 23 Woe to you! Now, whenever he says that, bad things are coming. <laughs> Woe to you, Christ says, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Isaiah twenty nine echoes these sentiments. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. God says, I don't just want your actions. I don't want you to appear to do anything. He says, I want your hearts. But here's the problem we live in in our world. Here's the society we live in. You see if you fit into this model somewhere. We live in a society that's extremely busy, right? So I have conversations with people during the week. How's your week? Busy. Well, I did this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. I, I kind of as a joke sometimes want to say to people, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to do myself. I just sit around all week and twiddle on my thumbs. I can't imagine what it must be like to be busy. <laughs> I want to say that just see the reaction. That's not the world we live in, is it? I mean, we get up early, our feet hit the floor and we run, 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 run until we get home at night and go to bed and we sleep and we get up and we do it all again the next morning. That's the world we live in. Be still and know that I'm God. That's not realistic. You know why? Because we're never still. But see, here's the problem as we begin to think through this lifestyle that we've boxed ourselves into. We've bought into this lie that the busier we are, the more success we'll have. The more things we can put on our calendar, then the more important we are. The more activity we find do, to do in our world, then, then the better we're going to be in this life. There are two problems with that model. Number one, it's a lie. <laughs> Busyness does not necessarily equal Success. But the second part of the lie is that we've taken that mindset and we've transferred it into our walk with Christ. And we think the busier we can be on the outside, the happier God's going to be with our lives. And so we say, you know, God, I don't really want to go to Sunday school this morning. But I promised to bring the donuts, so I guess I better go. Or God, I really don't want to go to that Bible study, but I signed up for it. I, I, I I guess I better go. I really don't want to go to that prayer time that I promised my friend I'd be a part of. God, I really am not really interested in doing that anymore. I'm kind of tired of it. Honestly, they're getting on my nerves, and I just don't want to go. But you know what? I, I signed up to do it, and so I'm going to go. Now, now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Those things are important, and there is a place for those things. God wants you to be involved in studying His Word in prayer. But here's the problem. If we're not careful, those things become just like another activity to us. It's just something we check off the box. So I went to work this morning, checked that off. I met with this client, made this deal, paid this bill, did this, went to Bible study, went to bed. That's it. (laughs) It's just part of our to-do list. And it's just something else we cram into our schedule. And we become so busy that we forget God really wants our hearts. See, it's not about acting like you want to do anything. It's about doing the things in your heart that God's called you to do. And the problem we have sometimes is we act one way on the outside this outward show of religion, while on the inside we're selfish. Now here's the problem we face in our church oftentimes. We become so busy with the things of church. Now hear what I'm saying here. Church is important. (laughs) We become so busy with the things of church that we rarely have time to step outside the doors of the church to really reach the lost. Why don't have time to share Christ? You know, i got to be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday Bible study, Thursday morning prayer group. Right? And, And again, those things are important. But if they're just things you're checking off a list, we've missed the point of what Christ is teaching. It's not about our activity, it's about our hearts. One writer said this. He said, Sunday morning classes, Sunday worship, small groups, prayer groups, midweek classes, ladies' breakfast, all of these things cloud up our lives and keep us from engaging the non-Christian or actually serving the needy. Now, I'll make a promise to you. I'll I'll make a promise. I had not done this in any of the services, but I'll make it to you. I'll give you permission to miss anything we schedule here at Rosemont Baptist Church if you're honestly going into the world sharing Christ. You've you got an out. You don't show up next Sunday morning if you're witnessing for Christ. That's fine. Because that's what God's called us to do. But we, we, we schedule so many things and put so many things on top of other things and we just fit it in our schedule that we're missing, I think, sometimes the heart of God. We're praying religion. You understand that? We've got this outward show of what we're doing and in our hearts we're being selfish. You say, great, okay, so God's kind of laid this foundation to be careful not to play this game, not to be outwardly religious while on the inside we're being selfish. What's the remedy? Well, look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. God says this. He said, don't do it this way in verses 1 through 5. And now he says in verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? He's about to give it to us. God says, here's what I'd rather you do. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Now, by the way, that's a spiritual and a physical understanding right there. Set people free from oppression. Verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Verse 8. Then he says, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear, then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then, in verse 9, you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk, look at verse 10, verse 10 is kind of a summary of this chapter. If you spend yourself... If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. See, God calls us to more than just an outward religion. But number two, God calls us to spend ourselves for the poor and needy. You See that? God says, this is not really about playing a game with me. It's about your heart. And I don't want you to say one thing and do another. I don't want you to act a certain way and have selfishness in your heart. I want you, instead of playing that game, to spend yourself for the poor and the needy. I love that phrase, spend yourself. God says, you want to hear from me? You want to be a part of my will? You give everything for me. You spend yourself for those that have never heard. You spend yourself for those that are oppressed. You spend yourself for those that are in need. I had the opportunity when I was in college to, to uh, do some summer work between semesters at Canal Fiberglass. This man right down here, Matt, and I were partners. His dad got us the job. It was between semesters, and we were making good money, man, like $10 an hour, you know, so we were rich. So I'd show up to the, to the fiberglass place every day, and it's hot in there. There's no air conditioning. And you probably know this, but rubbing large amounts of fiberglass against bare skin is not a good thing. You knew that, right? Right? You knew that? Don't ever do it. So we wear long pants, right? Long sleeves, gloves. Why? Because we didn't want the fiberglass to touch us because it itches. And so we're working all these hours. And here was our job, right? The two temps were on the bottom of the totem pole. We show up. And our supervisor every day, we loved him. You know how you love your supervisor when you're a temp, right? He gave us, to seem like, the same job every day. Here's the problem. In this plant they make all this fiberglass lots and lots of fiberglass but when they run it through their processes sometimes it doesn't come out like it's supposed to there's whatever mistake along the line and so when it rolls off they examine it if it meets all the criteria they ship it off to the customer if it doesn't they've just got to scrap it they got to throw it away so our job was to take all this scrap and feed it on this conveyor belt that would kind of grind it up they put it in this truck and take it wherever they took it so we stand by this conveyor belt all day We'd show up in the super, our joke was the supervisor would say, You're going to feed scrap all day. That's what he told us. Great, we're so excited about feeding scrap again. So we stand there and they got these big trucks, you know, that, that squeeze it together. And so they, they drive on, they, they drop these big loads of fiberglass. And Matt and I are just picking it up, and it's getting all of our skin. And we're putting it on this thing and it just takes it up and chops it up. Well, I'd get home at night and as you can imagine, I'm just itching like crazy. And there's this debate among the guys that work there. Is it cold water that helps the itch or hot water? Remember, so I take a cold shower and then immediately a hot shower. Nothing seemed to help. I'm itching and I'm hot and I'm sweaty. All summer I work. That's probably the hardest physically I've ever worked. But see, when I finished every day, when I finished at the end of that year, I had spent myself. You understand that, right? I'd literally given everything I had physically. I couldn't have worked anymore that day. I had to rest. You understand what spending yourself is like. You've worked those kind of jobs. Maybe you're working that kind of job Now, But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Here's the question in light of this Isaiah 58 passage. I'm going to ask you a difficult question. I'm going to step on your toes. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. When was the last time you gave something that really cost you? Have you ever given something to someone else to the point that it hurts? Have you ever spent yourself on someone else just because they had a need, knowing you'd never get anything in return? Most of us would honestly answer that question by saying, no, I've, I've never done that. And yet God cautions us, if you're just playing the game, you need to spend yourself. If you want to experience my love and my grace and my peace, you need to spend yourself on others. Now, I've tried all summer to give us missionary examples. I wanted to put missionaries before you. I wanted you to hear about missionaries and understand kind of who they were and what they had done and all they had accomplished. And I was reading some this week about people that had given everything for the service of others, and I came across Mother Teresa. Now, some of you are going, she's not Southern Baptist. Can you really use her as an example, Adam? Well, I'll tell you what. We'll debate her theology later, but right now, here's what I want to talk about. We can debate what she believed or what she said, but here's what we can't debate. She gave her life in service to others. That's what she did. And she praised God when she did it. So Mother Teresa moved into India, right? And she lived among the worst of the worst. For almost 50 years of her life, she ministered to the needy and to the outcast and to the oppressed. Every disease you can imagine, you put it on a sheet of paper, she ministered to those people. Every kind of illness you can imagine, she ministered to those kind of people. The areas in the world where we would walk by and literally not be able to look at again, she moved into those places. She put her arms around those people and she loved them in the name of Christ. 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And they said, we're going to do this banquet for you like we usually do this commemoration service. And she said, you know what? Instead of taking that $192,000 you were going to use for the banquet, I'd rather you give that money to the poor of India. That's what she asked them to do. You see, Mother Teresa spent herself on those that were in need you say, well, she's a good example, but are there other examples of people that have spent themselves? Yeah, how about Christ? <laughs> you say, how can I give myself so much that it hurts because Christ did? How can I spend myself on the poor and the needy because Christ did? How can I really help those that are oppressed and those that don't have anything we can because Christ did? You see, Isaiah, excuse me, Titus two fourteen, speaking about Christ, says this, he gave himself for us. There's the word he gave himself. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Ephesians 5, 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and, you want to guess? Gave Himself for us. See, over and over and over again, you know what Christ did for you? And you know what He did for me? He gave Himself. He gave Himself to the oppressed He gave himself to the needy. He gave himself to the people that had never heard the gospel. I'm reminded of James chapter 1 verse 27. It says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. You ready? Here's what God accepts as religion that's pure and faultless. You ready? To look after orphans and widows in their distress. Wow, that's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? You're saying, God, it's not about taking donuts to Sunday school. Isn't that that somewhere in the contract? Isn't it it about shaking hands and saying, God bless you, brother. I'll be praying for you at church Sunday morning. Isn't isn't that part of it? Isn't it about doing certain things so other people can see how spiritual I am? God says, if you want to see true faith and true religion, look after orphans and widows. Spend yourself for those that are poor and needy. Ray Stedman said it like this. He said, the ultimate test of our faith has always been, does it lead you to serve, to help somebody in need? Do you feel motivated to act? If you do, your faith is real. Otherwise, as James says, that's the book of James in the New Testament, as James says, it's a dead faith. The acid test is not, what does my religion do for me, but what does it make me do for others? see, God says, so many of you are playing a game. You're playing a game pretending as if you want to know me more. You're playing a game pretending as if you want to give more, pretending as if you want to do more. But on the inside, you're being selfish. And he says, I want to call you to spend yourself on the poor and the needy. And then the third thing, when we've done those things, the third thing I want you to see, it's just a beautiful picture of exactly who God is in our lives. The third thing God says is that he calls our light to shine. He says, if you'll set aside the things of the world, if you'll set aside your selfishness, if you'll give to those that are in need, if you'll give to the oppressed, if you'll give to those that don't have anything else, I want your light at that point to shine. But here's what we do. We say, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Lord, because if you call me to give till it hurts or to spend myself on somebody else, what am I going to do? Because, God, you know I've got this set aside for this emergency and we've got plans to do this Later, and we're going to take this vacation and buy this car. And again, those things are okay. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but we put those things ahead of God. Oftentimes, God says, "If we just quit being selfish, and you'll spend yourself on others, look what's going to happen." Look at verse 11. This is the beautiful picture of this conclusion of Isaiah chapter 58. Give of yourself, spend of yourself, give until it hurts when you don't think you'll ever get anything in return. In verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. You see that. And He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please, there it is again, ready, on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not giving—excuse me—by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking the idle words, you see that. Then, in verse fourteen, if you'll do these things, if you'll follow me, if you'll give yourself, if you'll spend yourself, if you'll set aside yourself, as is verse fourteen, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to rise on the heights of the land and to feast on the inhabitants of your father Jacob, the mouth. Of the Lord has spoken. I just wonder how many people have looked for joy in so many different parts of life. I wonder how many of you have searched for joy. And searched for fulfillment. And searched for happiness all the time looking in all the wrong places. How many times do we search for joy by being more selfish? God, if I can just get a little more then I'll be a little more happy. If I can just make a little bit more, God, I'll be a little more fulfilled. If I can just buy a couple of more things, God, then I'll find true joy. God says, it's not like that at all. You're playing a game. You're playing a game that you want others to see, and in your heart you're selfish. He said, but all you got to do is give to those that are in need. you got to love others like I loved you. you got to be willing to give it all for my name's sake. And if you'll do that... If you'll do that, then you will find joy. There's there's the joy. That's where it is. It's not about the car that we drive. It's not about the house that we have. It's not about the money that we make or the deals that we cause to get done. It's not about any of those things. Those are superficial and they're temporal. But the love of Christ and His joy in the Lord is eternal. I wonder how many of us have really experienced that joy. You know, when I was a little kid, I I used to have these dreams... About all I was going to do. You've had those dreams. I dreamed about the job I was going to have. I dreamed about the money I was going to make, the house I was going to live in, the fast car I was going to drive, right, guys? You remember those dreams? I dreamed about hitting the home run, the bottom of the ninth game, seven to win the World Series. I dreamed about making the winning shot in the basketball game. I had all those dreams, but you know what the problem with those dreams were? They were all about me. So now I've kind of grown up past those dreams, right? And I understand that there's more to life. And so now my dreams are about my children. And they're about my family. And they're about what God's going to do in the the lives and in the hearts of my kids. But you know what else I dream about? I dream about this church. And I dream about God's church. And I dream about all that he can accomplish through us. And I dream about the day when we're going to walk hand in hand together, unified marching into the darkness to proclaim his name into all the earth. I dream about a time when we're really going to seek him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strength. I dream about a day when we're going to love the things that he loves and we're truly going to hate the things that he hates. I dream about a day when we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. I dream about all the things he's going to do for this church. And you know what? I desperately want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of God's church that's a force to be reckoned with. That as we march into the darkness, we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But it's not going to happen when we're selfish. It's not going to happen when we're playing that game. It's not going to happen when we seek everything we want and nothing that he wants. And So I dream about our church as it grows into the bride of Christ, as it grows into this unstoppable force to reach the lost and to disciple the saved. And I dream about the time when we'll go into the ends of the earth proclaiming his name to all that will hear. And through the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, those that don't know will for the first time ever accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I dream about the time when we really will go to the ends of the earth. And I really want to be a part of that. But you know what else I want? I want you to be a part of it too. I want you to experience joy in this earth unspeakable. I want you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life to do things you never thought you would do. Not because of anything that you are. Not because of anything that you've accomplished. But because of everything he is. In you. I desperately want that for our church. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the challenge of Isaiah 58, Lord. And Lord, forgive us right now for our selfishness. Lord, we've all been selfish. We've all done things, Father, that we know put ourselves before you, Father. We've all played the game. Some of us are playing that game right now. Some of us came to church this morning just right in the middle of that game, Father, and we know it. We're not tricking anybody, Father. We're not tricking you. We're not tricking ourselves. Maybe we trick those people around us, Father. We're playing that game, Lord, and we know it. We're selfish. We're doing what we want to do. Father, forgive us. May this be the day, Father, we step out of that game and we say, You know what, God? I'm kind of tired of this game because I'm not receiving the joy I want. I'm not receiving the peace that I need, Father, so I want to give you everything right now. Father, I want to give you everything. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my life, Father. I want to quit playing the game. I want to quit being selfish. I want to give to all those that need. I want to spend myself because of you to the oppressed, Father, so that those that don't know may hear and that those that don't have may have, Father. And so I pray for this time right now of offering, Lord, as we're about to give. I pray that you would just give us, Father, the ability to spend ourselves, whatever that looks like between us and you, Lord. Give us the courage and the strength and the faith, Lord, to give, understanding clearly that this is what you've called us to do. And then I pray, Lord, you take this money and you multiply it for your name's sake so that your name may be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.